again. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 21. We're actually going to read two texts this morning for our lesson. 1 Samuel 21, and then we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. So keep your finger in Mark 2, but get to 1 Samuel 21 first. Let's read the first six verses of 1 Samuel 21. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The Lord has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever's here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before Yahweh to be placed, replaced with hot bread on the day it is taken. Now come with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark 2 verses 23 through 28, which will be our text for the lesson this morning. Mark 2 beginning in verse 23, hear now again the word of the true and living God. One Sabbath he that is Jesus, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Father God, as we sit at the feet of our Master Jesus as we look at the steps that He took. May we go forward having identified these steps and walk and follow in His example. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. We continue in our uh, series called Step in Step with Jesus. And this is a series which will take us through the Gospel of Mark. We're not looking 
extensively throughout all of the verses of Mark, but we are going chapter by chapter, and we're going to pull various uh, accounts from the life of our Lord in order to identify the steps that He took for the purpose of deepening our relationship with God and deepening our relationship, of course, with the Lord as we follow in His steps, as we walk step in step with Jesus. In the Restoration Movement, which we are a part of, as uh, are all the churches of Christ, one of the mantras, uh, one of the purpose statements that we unite under is in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things love or charity is how it was phrased back in the day. In essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things love. And that was the original plea of the restoration movement was uh, there are some essentials that we are to unite under And then there are non-essentials, which we are to have liberty toward one another with. But in all things, we are to have a spirit of love which motivates us uh, toward one another. The question is, what happens when non-essentials become essentials? Typically, when non-essentials become essentials, love goes right out the window which is what we see happening in Mark chapter 2. You have Jesus encountering a group of individuals, Pharisees, for whom certain non-essentials have become essentials. And as a result, a spirit of love is not pervasive within the Pharisees. They're not known for their love. They're known for their strict commandment keeping. And Jesus comes on the scene and he confronts them about them. Now, all throughout Mark chapter 2, Jesus has been taking more steps. And we don't have time to look at all of them. I invite you to tune in tomorrow night on the Facebook page at 7 o'clock and and we'll unpack a a step or two more from Mark chapter 2. But just at a glance, Mark chapter 2 has a, a heavy evangelistic theme where Jesus, in verse 2, for example, he was preaching the word to them. Now that is a step that we can take with Jesus, isn't it? Preaching the word to others, speaking the word of God to other people, absolutely. And then Jesus, in verse 13, was teaching uh, a crowd of people. And he was teaching them about God's will for their lives, no doubt. That is a a central theme that we're going to uh, expand upon in this lesson about the will of God and how we are to step into God's will and what that looks like. But in his teaching ministry, he no doubt was teaching people about the will of God and what God's will was for his people. Certainly a step we can take with Jesus. And then in verse 14, I mean, and I said this last week, just about every verse you can identify a step that Jesus takes that we can imitate. And so verse 13, he teaches people about God's will. And then in verse 14, he's inviting people to follow him. And we can certainly unite in that step, can't we? In inviting people to follow Jesus. And then in verse 15, you see him at a house, reclining at table, which would mean this is a meal he was eating. And when you sat at table and ate with others, that was a sign of fellowship. You were communicating, I fellowship you. But notice who's sitting at the table 
with Jesus. As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Eating a meal with sinners, with the intent, of course, of sharing the bread of life with them. I mean, that's no doubt why Jesus had all of these sinners following him. People whose sins were well known in the community. And yet Jesus is sitting at table with them, and I doubt it was a silent meal. He was sharing with them about God's way and God's will for their lives. Even for, even for sinners? Yeah, and again, that's a step we can take. Where we can share the table with others with the intent of breaking off to them the bread of life. Other steps could be identified here, but I really want us to get to verses 23 to 28, where we see Jesus, and let's call it stepping into the will of God. And what he's doing is he is providing a clear perspective on the will of God. And you'll notice that it is rooted in his identity. That there is a sense in which if we, were, if we are to have a clear perspective on the will of God, we also need a clear view of the identity of Jesus. Now, we find Jesus, and what's he doing? He's, he's working to bring clarity to some individuals, these Pharisees, whose view of God and of God's will has become muddied. It, it's, 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 in, it's unclear. It is, again, muddied. It's and so he, he steps onto the scene here on a Sabbath. Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, Saturday, and that's when you, you didn't do any work. It was a day of uh, worship. It was a day of rest. And we immediately run into a problem here as Jesus, he's going through a grain field. His disciples are taking heads of grain, and what they are doing, Luke emphasizes this in Luke 6 in the parallel account, they would take the heads of grain, they would rub it in their, half, uh, in their hands, it would separate the chaff from uh, the grain itself, and then they would consume the grain. They were, they were eating. But to do that, they were violating the Sabbath. I mean, that's, that's what the Pharisees' problem with this whole thing is, isn't it? They're talking to Jesus about his disciples. Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? They're violating the Sabbath, Jesus! You need to do something about your disciples here. Now, it's the Pharisees who speak up, not Jesus. Jesus offers no rebuke, no sharp correction. Guys, don't you know what I'm doing here? You guys are messing me all up. He doesn't do any of that. He allows them to do it. And again, it is the, the Pharisees who identify the violation of the Sabbath. And really what is going on here? There were rules of the Sabbath that Jews were not to violate. And what the disciples are doing when they come and, and gather the grain, the heads of grain, and then rub it in their hands so that the chaff goes away, that was a form of reaping, which was a form of work, which was a violation of one of the 39 acts that were forbidden on the Sabbath. Couldn't do that. That was work. And so the Pharisees are denouncing the action. Not do, that's not lawful. It's a violation. Even though these men are hungry, 
How dare they break the rules? Well, Jesus then begins to work through this. And I know how we explain uh, this. We, we usually say, well, you know, the, the disciples are not really violating the Sabbath. I mean, all they're doing is uh, breaking the rabbinic code and uh, they're, they're really just violating tradition. They're not, they're not actually offending the law, the law of God, the Torah. That's usually how we work through this. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't do that. He, does, he very easily could have. It's yeah, tradition, you guys. Now, he'll do that when you get to chapter 7 and the whole Corbin thing, but here he doesn't do that. In fact, there's almost a sense in which he agrees. Yeah, my disciples are they're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And yet, though they've broken the rule, they are guiltless. And to make his point, Jesus does something that we all need to do. And he goes back to Scripture. <laughs> he goes to Scripture to make his case. He goes right back to the Bible in order to demonstrate. He goes to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, even before that, I guess we need a little bit of background here. Because according to the law... It was only lawful to, for priests to eat the bread of presence, as it was called. And Ahimelech knew that. Ahimelech the priest knew Leviticus 24 and verse 9. Leviticus 24 and verse 9 uh, says that the bread of presence, which was kept in the holy place, it shall be for Aaron and his sons, that's the priesthood, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of Yahweh's food offerings, a perpetual due. Leviticus 24.9, it's only for the priests. And Ahimelech knew that. And yet, he gave it to David and to his men. Now there was, you know, the, the discussion they had about, uh, are they pure? He says, yeah, they're pure. He says, all right, well, Here's some bread, some, some loaves of the bread of presence, which was uh, a ceremonial symbol of the presence of Yahweh with his people. Now, in the parallel account over in Matthew chapter 12, parallel account to Mark 2, one of the things Jesus points out there in verse 5 is, you know, the priests, don't you know that they violate the Sabbath when they're doing their sacerdotal duties, they're doing their priestly duties in, in the temple? Don't you realize they're breaking Sabbath too? And yet they're guiltless? So Jesus comes at this apparently a number of different ways in order to show y'all don't know what you're talking about. Not really. In fact, there's stuff in the law you're supposed to have. You guys are the teachers of Israel, and you haven't put all this together to realize that you know, maybe some of these rules aren't really rules that we need to enforce. There was something in the law, something in 1 Samuel 21, that the, the Pharisees were supposed to have learned. It was instructive concerning what it is they're griping about here. And they had missed it. They totally missed it. And so Jesus is going to do that for them. He's going to provide them a clear perspective 
on the will of God, a, a clearer understanding. And so uh, the, the bread of presence, again, the, the representation of God's abiding presence with his people, without a doubt, without a doubt, the bread of presence was exclusively for the priests to eat according to the law. We've read Leviticus 24.9. However, it was never the intent of the law to view that bread as something which could not be shared to those who were in need. And apparently Ahimelech understood that. The Pharisees had missed it. Or maybe they knew it, they just forgot it. I'm going to lean toward the former, though, just given kind of their track record of things. In other words, what it boils down to is compassion supersedes ceremonial considerations. That is, steadfast love is greater than the law. Or how about the way James phrases it? Mercy triumphs over judgment. <laughs> in James chapter 2, the law, in fact, was actually an expression of divine love. And so to take the law as the law and strip it of love is a gross, not only disservice, but a gross misrepresentation of the law. And that's where the Pharisees lived. They had disconnected the law of God from the love of God and their strict obedience to the law was actually hurting other people. It was detrimental to people. So that even on the Sabbath, well, hey, if you're hungry, tough. Then we can do about that. In the very next uh, section in chapter 3, uh, the, 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 the leader there is going to say, can't you guys come on other days of the week to get healed? You have to come on the Sabbath to get healed. Aren't there six days you could get healed? You got to do it on a Sabbath? How about that whole Corbin thing over in Mark chapter 7, where what was supposed to provide for your parents, oh, I'm sorry, I've already given that to God. And then they would just turn around and use it on themselves. They had a number of ways in which their strict obedience to the law was actually hurting other people. It was detrimental to others. And they were failing to properly express love. And so Jesus, he once again reconnects law and love. I mean, after all, he is the incarnate word of God. If anybody knows about the law, it would be the word incarnate. And in so doing, he's providing that clear understanding of God's will. But then he takes the next step. And he points, after uh, the, this, uh, the explanation of verse 26, about, and we've got to work through a little bit, I guess, a Beathar. Oh, I thought it was a Himalek. Well, in my English standard, it has the footnote here where instead of saying, in the time of, that can be translated as in the passage about. So, um, remember, they didn't have book, chapter, and verse like we do today. And so they had portions, sections, columns of text. Uh, that has to get worked in here. Jesus is thinking like a Jewish person would, which is different than our 21st century Western way of thinking, especially with the way things are given. So all that to say, there's a way of working through this. It's not a contradiction. There are some who want to grab hold of it and say, see, he doesn't even know. 
There's, you, you just got to work through it and think like a Jewish person would have, and I think all this kind of falls nicely into place. But from that clear perspective of what was not lawful for David and his men to eat, it's okay because, uh, uh, again, this principle of the, the law and the love being united. But then he takes the next step, verses 27 to 28, and provides that clear view that clear vision of his identity. The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And essentially what it boils down to this. He says, you know how those guys, Ahimelech, David, and and those guys in their day, how they were able to discern how the ceremonial law uh, was intended for something, but uh, they rightly interpreted that the law was also to be mingled with love and therefore no one went hungry. All right? If those guys under the Old Testament could have a clear understanding of the intent of the law, number one, you guys ought to be at least where they were. But number two, surely the Son of Man who is standing right in front of them, who is Lord even of the Sabbath, surely he can look upon his disciples' behavior and hold them as guiltless. Surely he's the one who could properly interpret the law and properly interpret the actions of those who are with him in light of the law, but also in light of divine love. That in fact they're not violating the will of God. In fact there's There's something deeper going on here than just mere men grabbing something and rubbing this together and all that. Jesus, the Son of Man, is certainly capable and better able than these mere men of the Old Testament. And the mere men standing before Him, certainly the Son of Man, is perfectly capable of identifying and holding his disciples without fault in their actions. And so, yeah, he's Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is. He's greater than the Sabbath. He has the authority over the Sabbath. He's the one who introduced the Sabbath in the first place. So yes, he is Lord of the Sabbath. We see the steps Jesus took here. Again, a clearer understanding of God's will and a clear vision of of his identity as the Son of Man and the Lord of the Sabbath. What about our steps? What are are the steps that we take here? Well, again, I I think we we follow in the same same footprints, and that is we need to provide people a clear view and a a clear vision of God's will and a clear view and a clear understanding of of Jesus' identity, who Jesus is and what God desires from, from them. When it comes to the will of God, we need to make sure that we keep our spiritual perspective in harmony with God's will. It is acceptable to draw lines. The law did that. It is acceptable to stay within those parameters. That's a good thing. As John says, the commandments are not burdensome. They are an expression of even God's own being and His nature. But at the same time, 
we need to make sure that from those parameters outlined in the law of God, we don't then come on the scene and begin to bind laws on other people and claiming them to be laws in Christ, which are actually burdens to them. Laws which are, they were never really laws according to the, what God has revealed in His Word. We need to recognize that when we come up with our own laws, very typically they have lots of flaws. There are flaws in our laws, the laws that we make up and come up with. But the law of God is flawless. The law of God is perfect. And so, again, there are the clear parameters as marked out by God's Word, and, and that shows us His will, what He desires of us, and it's rooted in His nature and His being. But we need to check ourselves and make sure that we're not binding laws of our own that we've come up with on others. What will be required of that, by the way, is a proper understanding, a full-orbed uh, understanding and a full-orbed uh, grasp of God's Word. That we're not only interpreting the text according to its given context, but that we're reading it in harmony with the larger picture of not just the book in which we find it, but the testament in which it is found, new and old, and holding all of that together in view of the whole, that God's Word is one harmonious whole revelation. And not just something, bits and snatches here and there, and kind of a piecemeal work. And There's plenty of that to be found out in the world. Yeah, the Bible, again, it, it contradicts itself. See, Abiathar, can't even get the, the priest right. But again, properly holding... Scripture together, having a grasp of the, the Word of God as a whole and not just kind of proof text along the way. That will be required for a clear understanding of God's will. And then take the next step, which is a clear understanding of Jesus' identity. Who Jesus is. We need to continually come back again and again to the Word and to see if the, the idea that we have of Jesus is in keeping with what is found here. And when this shows us that something we have in our minds concerning Jesus, when something here shows that's not right, we don't say, oh, that's wrong and I'm going to cling to this, but rather we say, oh, I don't want that, I want this. This is informing my understanding, my view of Jesus. Who is Jesus? There's so many different titles that are used of Jesus. We have one right here, Son of Man. We have another one, right? Lord of Sabbath. All throughout Scripture, he's, he's the head of the church, head over all things to his church. He's our creator. He's the one who upholds all things, sustains all things, holds all things together. He is Lord. He is our advocate. He's our mediator between us and God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Indeed, He is God, the Son. It could go on, but when we keep, again, a full-orbed view of who Jesus is in our minds, 
there we find the example that is set before us, whereby we can live our lives. Jesus sets the example for us in his life when it comes to our faith. He sets the example when it comes to how we express forgiveness. He sets the example as to how to properly express love and compassion. His compassion on display right here with his disciples. He shows us the example for purity. He shows us the example for how to have relationships with one another. Jesus teaches all these things, but again, to properly express those things and to follow in his footsteps, we need to have a proper and clear view of who he is in the first place. If Jesus is merely a man, well, what is it that, uh, what was the, the, the phrase that, was been, that has been used historically concerning Christ? That he's either a legend, that's uh, one direction folks go, usually unbelievers take the, the legend, a myth. But uh, historically it's been he's either a, a liar, because again if he's a mere man and he makes the claims that he makes, he's, at it, he's, 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 he's lying, he's, it's not true, because he claimed to be God. Or he's a lunatic, if again he's just a man, because again he claimed to be more than just a man and Again, if, if, he's, if, if it's not true what he claims, then number one, he's either a liar or he's out of his mind. He's crazy. Or maybe just maybe this man was more than a man, as he said. And he really is Lord of the Sabbath. He really is Lord. And following that identity, he is able to leave those footprints in the sands of time that are clear that are bold, and that we can follow in. Jesus shows us relationship with God is more than strict commandment keeping. Uh, we, we certainly want to champion and uphold the law of God without a doubt. But if, if all it was was strict commandment keeping, then Jesus would have commended the Pharisees. Way to go! You, you, guys, are, you guys are knocking it out of the park. It's the rest of these... the the, the, the the mass of humanity out here that needs to follow in your guys' steps. He doesn't do that. In fact, very often he condemns the Pharisees for their hyper-strictness in commandment-keeping and, and those sorts of things. The law is intended, again, to inform our view of God and our understanding of who God is and, and what He desires of us Jesus comes in order to make that clear. In order to show us that, no, the commandments of God are not burdensome. But again, they are a loving extension of His being and His nature. We come to know God through His commandments. <clears throat> and when we obey them, we come to know His holiness. We come to know His perfection. We come to know even God himself, the God who gave the law in the first place. And when we walk with Jesus, we'll be imperfect. He's the only one who walked perfectly. But even though we're imperfect in following and walking with Jesus, because of Jesus, we will be held guiltless. Let us pray.
holy God, in the first place, we, we thank you for your holy word. We affirm that your law is good and holy. And we pray that we would aim to clearly understand your will from your word. And through obedience to your word, we would come to know you even better. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for the gospel that is forged in his blood. And we pray that we would not only maintain a clear view of who Jesus is and what your will is for us, but that we would make these things known to others and that we would seek to make it as clear as possible for them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.